We are in Philippians chapter 2, joy, specifically a joy attitude, a joy attitude. You know, these two mice were eating, eating a roll of film, you know, and one of the mice looked up at the other mice and one of the mouse, the mouse looked at the other mouse and said, you know, I think the book was better than the movie. But you know that when you read the Bible, that book is the book we're into. So there was a teacher that instructed a second grade student to give a sentence about a public servant. So the student kind of scratched their head and then the second grader said, the big strong fireman came down the ladder pregnant. And the teacher said, uh, little boy, do you know what pregnant means? And the boy said, yes, it means carrying a child. <laughs> the joy attitude. Why? Because really, the joy attitude, one of the things that can take your joy, and there's a lot of crazy people in Christmas season, right? And people let people steal their joy. Well, one of the antidotes to that is having that joy attitude. And it's an attitude of service. So I don't know if you remember the golden rule. If you've heard the golden rule, the one with the gold makes the rules. Well, the Bible says in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, the silver is mine. That's what God said. And the gold is mine. Preacher, what gold? All of it saith the Lord of hosts. So if God makes, if God has all the gold, then God gets to make the rules. So in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was speaking on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it said, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, this is known as the golden rule. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This sums up everything. Treat people as you would have them treat you. And then there's a word, joy. And we've all heard this. It's not new, but I want to reiterate this. You've heard a way to remember what joy means. J, it's only three letters, so it's easy, right? J, Jesus, first. O, oh no, no. Oh, others, second. And Y, yourself, third. And I, and I, I change that because it, most people say yourself last. But you know what? You're not last nor least. You're very important to God. And I don't want to, Christians don't have a, uh, an undue sense of who they are. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but if we're to keep our joy, we know we have to act like Jesus. Why? It's not a selfish thing, but it's good business. It's precisely not selfish because you're putting Jesus first, then you're putting others second, and then we put ourselves in the right place and we keep our joy. So let's look at 
three attitudes. Well, specifically four, but we'll group them into group uh, three groups. The first is the joy attitude of Jesus. So that's Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, and beginning at verse 1 and going all the way to verse 11. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. There's that joy attitude. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So you got Jesus first, and then in verse 3, what do you have? Others second. Sounds like Joe. Well, it's Joe right now, right? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So there's your joy. Yes, we take care of our business. But uh, just as my daughter, uh, she's raised in a house where sometimes our schedule isn't our schedule. In fact, often our schedule isn't our schedule. And you know what? We have a joyful household. We have lots of laughter. We have lots of joking. We have an exceeding high amount of sarcasm in my house. And that's all because, well, what's the schedule? Jesus first. And then if a neighbor wants to come over and sit, you've all had that happen where you've got things to do. The neighbor wants to sit. Well, we take care of the neighbor. Others second. It's important. And then also you do have to take care of yourself. So don't throw yourself away. God's not like that. God will also bless you as you, uh, the Bible says, if you sow bountifully, if you invest, the Bible says you will reap bountifully. The Bible said if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be what? Added unto you. By whom? God will touch someone's heart and they'll just, they'll give. They, you know, maybe they'll give you a raise. Maybe they'll give you favor, but God will touch their heart. God will take care of his people. It's guaranteed. So verse five and six, we see the mindset of Christ. Let this mind be in you. Let this attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about Jesus' attitude, who being in the form of God, that doesn't mean like, you know, two arms, two legs, and a head. That's not, but it means that he was in the nature or the power. He is God in human flesh. He's the right now seated at the right hand of God. He is Lord that spoke everything into existence. The Bible says that God created all things. By Christ Jesus. So he's God. That's the form of God that the Bible's talking about. But the Bible said that Jesus didn't say, I will, but he said, thy will. You know, Jesus had that, that attitude that God, not me first. And then he also put others first. And uh, people would come up, heal my daughter, heal my servant. He goes, I'll come. Others second. You know, there was a time, though, that Jesus took care of himself. Have you ever heard of the Garden of Gethsemane? You know what that was? The Garden of Gethsemane was a pleasure garden on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples would resort there often. Huh? What was, it? What was a pleasure garden? So it was like a botanical garden. Have you ever been to one of those? 
lots of, you know, beautiful flowers. And, and Jesus probably knew someone that had some money that owned a nice place out there. There's probably a house out there. Who knows? But Jesus would go out there and chill with his disciples often. So, you know, Jesus didn't just hang around, you know, with this scraggly beard and not eating. Jesus took care of business, but he did his father's business. Then he helped others. And then he took time to recuperate. Have you ever heard of the word recreation? Recreation? It's when we kind of just have to, you know, you know, you take a staycation or something, get out of town. That's completely in line with the word of God as long as he's first. Amen. So verse 7, that, that attitude serves. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form upon, excuse me, upon him, the form of a servant. Again, he didn't change his body so much, but he emptied out all of the glory that he had and took on the attitude of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Have you ever worked at a restaurant? Who's the person that helps you? What are they called? Yes, they are. Okay, now in America, they call them waiters. If they're waiting, they're not doing anything, okay? Now they wait on you, but really they are a server at, at Outback Steakhouse. They'll say, hey, my name's such and such, and I'll be taking care of you today. When I worked at a restaurant in Hong Kong, they had servers, waiters, and junior servers, me. That's a busboy. That means that you, you know, serve the water, serve the bread bowl, and then you clear everything out and you don't get tips. Okay, you get like four bucks an hour or something like that. But you're a junior server. Well, if you think about that, that's what Jesus, it, it said that he had this attitude of someone that serves. That's what a servant does. When you go to church, that preacher, I just came to church, bless me if you can. But if we say, wait a second, this is a worship. Another name for a church is service. Man, I came to church and uh, I'm going to serve God. And he said, well, preacher, but who wants to be a servant? Well, waiters who do a good job get paid really well. Oh, no, preacher, they only get paid like three bucks an hour. Yeah, that's their hourly, but that's not their tips. We just gave a large tip to a waitress and that's one table. You know, if you make, you can make a lot of money an hour, more than probably like a plumber or something. If you know how to treat people and you have regular customers and take care of them, so just think about it. How much do you pay a month? Don't tell me for your cell phone service. More than 10 bucks, right? More than 10 bucks a month. How about internet service? Service, right? We pay for it. How about electric service? More than 15 bucks, right? Right, so you can charge for service. I, I talked to one of my uh, friends, uh, a gentleman that walks to school, has a daughter in Emma's class, and he reads comic books. He pays for a service to read comic books online. And he tells me how much he paid every month, and I was like, oh, but he can read as many comic books as he wants. When people serve us, we will pay for it. Being a servant is not a bad job especially when you're working for God. The Bible said that Paul said, my God shall supply, not all my needs, but he said, this is the kind of God, all your needs. He, he's already said, he's going to take care of me. He'll take care of you too, according to his riches in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Christ is a provider. 
when uh, Jesus in John chapter 13, after the Last Supper, he laid aside his garments and then he uh, poured aside, he poured water in this basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And I'm going to go kind of quick here because I want to get to the meat of the message. And after he had washed their feet, verse 12 of John chapter 13, and had taken his garments and was set down again. So that was the lesson, right? He said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? And then he said, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. Jesus did say that he was God, okay? If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, we're not going to have a foot washing in church, okay? I know that a lot of us don't wear sandals. Some of you ladies do, but we walk on asphalt. We don't walk in dirt. Uh, In fact, there was something on my wife's shoe. I was about to take in her running shoe, and I was like, oh, no. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, okay? So there was something on that thread that had to get washed off. Some organic matter from probably one of our nation's finest dogs or cats, but... The feet were nasty, okay? The disciples had probably, uh, from their leather sandals, they probably had uh, bruises or scabs and, you know, all that stuff from walking around all the sheep and everything. It was quite a humbling thing to wash their feet. But most of us have clean, they might be stinky, but their feet in socks. It's not the same to wash someone's feet today. And a lot of people don't want you to touch their feet. But you know what? You could wash someone's car. You could clean someone's house. You could be a blessing to someone and buy them dinner. You could, uh, you, could just, you could just listen to someone. You know, a lot of us, we might have our physical things. We just need someone to listen to us. And we need someone to be with us, be a friend. And uh, notice what he said. He said in verse 15, For I've given you an example. So it's not just an attitude, but it's a service that Jesus wants to share. That ye should do as I have done unto you. There's that golden rule. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Now notice what Jesus said to his disciples, if we claim to be his disciples, and I do. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now that's interesting. If God is the source of our joy, then would not his actions be modeled in our lives to keep that joy? Say, preacher, why do you do all that stuff? Why do you go to church? Why do you pray? Now, I want to keep my joy. I mean, there's a reason that we do things, right? So why does that guy steal that money? Well, because he wants some money to spend. Say, preacher, why do you pray? I want to keep my joy. Why do you read your Bible? I want to keep my joy. Why do you do other things? Say, well, preacher, I thought you just love God and love others. I do love God and love others. But you know what? We wouldn't do things to be miserable, would we? I do things to keep joy. There is a reward for doing what God wants you to do. He said, happy are ye if you do them. There's a reward for doing what Jesus said to do. So uh, we not only have the attitude, but the action that works together. That's really the joy attitude. It's an attitude that works with an action. So when Paul was talking about Jesus, uh, he loved the church and gave himself for it. He said, just like that, husbands love your wives. You know, it was, a, it was a chance to talk about that relationship. And then 
He said, and it's in Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 25. And then he said, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You mean I'm going to get my wife a tattoo and a haircut? No, not like exactly like your own body, okay? He said, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, unless they're bonkers, right? But notice, but nourisheth, that's an action, right? You feed yourself. And cherisheth, what is that? An attitude. Action and attitude together, even as the Lord, the church. You see, God loves his church, and that love drives him to give. And that's the joy attitude. It's attitude in action. My wife was tired today because we've been fighting all morning. No, just kidding. So she was tired today. She's been working on stuff for my daughter's school, for church, and and so, and we had a neighbor come over, and there were a bunch of dishes and stuff. Dinner was done, and the neighbor was still there, and my daughter was outside playing, and and so, so I, I got up and did the dishes. I didn't say, "Honey, I'll do it." Of course, now I'm saying it, but but I just wanted her to have a little time to rest. And here's the thing: I did it with a good attitude. I'm like. Well, because I was tired too. What happens when you're done with eating? You try to like get out of there. Like everyone like, go! But there was no one else there. It was just me. So I was like, well, there's me in the dishes. So when you have that right attitude, it was a blessing because you saw that it would be a blessing to someone that you care about. That is joy. So verse 8. Here we go. Sacrifice and being found in fashion as a man. You know, the joy attitude is going to cost you something. Serving God is going to cost you something. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, we, we willingly sacrifice for things we think are worthy. It's not hard to sacrifice, you know. If, uh, you know, your child is out in the middle of the street and there's a car coming down, you're like, ooh, if I get out there, I might break a leg. No, you don't say that. You'll run in there. You won't even think about it. You, you mean, even if you're drug along and get that road rash or something like that. Why? Because you love your child. And the things, about, the things of God, if they're worthy, the problem is we don't think something's worth it. It's like, hey, worth it. You know, you're like reading something for school. I don't see why you have to read this. It's not important. But Jesus, when he went to the cross, thought we were important. Even though... Uh, the, the Bible says, you know, for a good man, some would even dare to die, but God, he showed or commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners, but God thought we were worth it. And when you sacrifice for something, you don't have to go and uh, hold, hold it over their head. You're doing it willingly. Jesus was a willing sacrifice. No man, the Bible says, took his life from him. When he uh, was arrested, 
They said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And when he said that, they all fell backward. It was as if God flicked the lights on and showed his glory, including Judas. Judas fell back. Judas got to see and get reminded of who Christ really was. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, by him, by Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice. And sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know, it's interesting. Our last conference was on worshiping Jesus. And when we have this constant attitude of worship, just letting God be worshiped, the fruit of our lips. And when we're worshiping God, we really can't say something mean about someone. When we're worshiping God, we can't gossip. And that constant worship will keep you, have, keep you having constant joy. So that's the joy of the attitude of Jesus. And now, of course, with only 10 minutes left, the joy attitude of Paul, verses 12 to 18. So Jesus spread it to Paul, the apostle. So in verse 12, we can work something out that God works in. So God will put something in us. Wherefore, my beloved, is have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and and trembling for it is for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure you know a lot of people they think that Christianity is a bunch of external pressure you know the pastor saying brother sister make it to church you know brother sister read your bible brother sister but really Honestly, that's not the pressure, biblically, that keeps us serving God. When Paul was talking before a king named Agrippa, you know what he said? He said, I was not disobedient to my pastor. No, he didn't say that. I was not disobedient to my organization. He said, there was an inside drive in my life. And he spoke to that king and he said, I was not disobedient to unto the heavenly vision. He said that Christ was working in me. Like Jeremiah said, there was just a, there was a fire down in my bones and I, I just couldn't stop from talking about God. And you know, if you ever had a basketball, there's pressure on a basketball. And I'm not talking about the atmospheric pressure coming from the outside. That's not what makes a basketball a basketball. If you've ever bounced a basketball, it's because of the pressure from the inside acting towards the outside. It causes it to go bing and bounce right off the ground. Bing, if you, can't, if you can dribble it. If not, you can just hit it once and watch it bounce all over the place, right? But without that pressure on the inside, have you ever had a basketball that's like not inflated and you bounce it and it just kind of splats on the ground? <laughs> There's no pressure, right? But we need, that's, that's, how, that's how it is in our lives. If we don't have the inside pressure pressing out, Without the preacher, just, you know, the preacher has to pick you up and then dribble you on the ground and you splat on the ground again, pick you up again, splat you on the ground again, pick you up again, splat you on the ground. That's just external pressure. But when we get that inside pressure, you see, Christ gives us the example, but the Holy Spirit gives us the energy. And that power of the Holy Ghost to go forward gives us that energy and that joy to serve Christ. 
Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Hard stuff to do, right? But not when we have joy. That's why I like to joke around a lot because otherwise you can get negative and critical. I just like to have joy. You know, like they heard that saying, when God, or when, when one door closes, what happens? No one wants to say it because you know the joke's coming. Another one opens, right? When one door closes, another one opens. You know what that means? Your house is probably haunted. (laughs) That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now notice verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, in the same sentence, I joy and rejoice with you all. You know, when you're sacrificing and serving God with the right attitude, notice in the same sentence what accompanies that joy and rejoicing. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Why? Because the church in Philippi was also sacrificing and having that right attitude of Christ. So the joy was there. And you know that I, I'm, I'm really excited about serving God because although it's not easy sometimes on the flesh, it gives you the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which we're all looking for, that peace in our heart. Verses 19 to 24, there's two ministers. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we'll catch their attitudes, their joy attitudes. So first, Timothy... Uh, Paul's younger, uh, well, the, the one, the protege, or the one that Paul was passing on his experience to. Uh, but I trust in the Lord to send Timotheus, or Timothy, shortly unto you. And Timothy just means, Timotheus means value to God, or dear to God, Timo and Theos. And that it also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now notice his attitude of a servant. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally or genuinely care for your state. For all seek their own. They don't have joy, right? Them first, others second, Jesus last. Yodge, right? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know, I'm thankful that God has some servants. There's a, there's a big church and this plumber, true story, he was fixing the wall, the toilet was loose. And inside, he pulls out like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, this actually happened in the church bathroom. And uh, there had been a theft in the church. And it was like $600,000. It's kind of like the offerings that we get here. In the, yeah. So, and and uh, a bunch of it, they don't know how much of it the cops didn't say, but like hundreds of checks and money orders and cash was piled past the insulation. And I was thinking... Now, who could have stolen that? Who had hands on that? Probably the ushers or somebody else. But you see, not everyone genuinely puts God first. And I don't know. I don't know if anyone's been charged. It might have been a holdup or a stick up, but someone stuck it. They knew enough to keep it in the church. Some of it was just, you know, hidden in the church for years. This happened like in 2014, the theft, and they just found, they just found recently. You can read about it. So, but not everyone has an attitude of a servant, Timothy did. Verse 22, 
But you know the proof of him. He has the action of a servant. That as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently. So soon as I shall see how it goes, see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. So he said he has been vetted on the field. And you know, it's good to kind of, you know, check, check out some work for God and see uh, how things go when you're working. And you know, some things are easy. Some things aren't so easy. And uh, when things go crazy, sometimes things go crazy. Sometimes the power goes off. Sometimes the AC breaks. Just like in our house, the work of God is the same way. Sometimes cars go crazy. Sometimes things at your house go crazy. Say, preacher, what do you do if things go at your house go crazy? I just go to church. Say, preacher, what if you're not feeling well? I go to church. It's just like work. People go to work when they're not feeling well, when the house is crazy. I just go to church. But... When I was in Bible school, you had to be to every class on time. You know why? Because you're going to be the pastor or a worker in a church, and you had to have the church open on time. It's like a business. Can you imagine going to Chick-fil-A, and it's time for them to open, except for Sunday? And they're not open? Why? Because someone is like, well, I had to fix my lawnmower, you know? But of course not. We'd be like, I want my fried chicken, right? And you know what? They know that. So I'm sure that they're open well before. They have that chicken cooking up at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. So the time that it comes and it's open, man, chicken and fries and Coke for breakfast, right? Nice, healthy breakfast. But the Bible says the last attitude, the joy attitude of Epaphroditus. He was, now that name means devoted to Aphrodite. You know, I mean, that's what his mom gave him or his dad gave him, okay? That was the Greek goddess of, of love, right? But that's, that was just his name. We can't choose our names. But the Bible said, yet it supposed it, I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and that he ministered to my wants. So he was a balanced believer. Paul said he's a brother, he's a companion in labor, and he's a fellow soldier. So he was very balanced, right? He, he didn't just do one thing, but he knew to do all of those things. Remember, was it not Mr. Miyagi that said that to Daniel's son? Learn balance, Daniel's son. And then that's what we need to do. Not just read our Bible, not just go to church, not just talk to people about God, but we need to do all of them. It's balance. And Epaphroditus had it. For he longed after you, carried a burden, and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. So he was burdened that they were worried about him. <laughs> he, carried about, he cared about people so much, he didn't want them to spend their time thinking about him that he was sick. He was very tender-hearted, which is why cannibals like to eat Christians, right? Because they're tender-hearted. For indeed that he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And the Bible says, I send him therefore the more carefully that when ye, should, when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. He's going to come and he's going to be a blessing. Just like Abraham. God said, I'm going to bless you and thou shalt be a blessing. And it's a joy to be a blessing. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service towards me. So we've got some joy attitudes there. Now, um, I'd like to sh I'll leave with this. The Bible said, serve the Lord in Psalm 100 and verse 2. Serve the Lord with 
gladness. See, the joy attitude is in serving God. That's where you get your joy. And I'm, I, you can try to find it in any other place. But if you serve the Lord with gladness, the Bible says come before his presence with singing. Now, whether you come before his presence in singing, making a joyful noise, or in silent prayer, here's the key. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. How many times have I been in church and the, the presence of God has just been there and just been like, man, that's what I need. I mean, I know I need Chick-fil-A and donuts and you need to sleep and you need to change your socks and you need to have a bath. But man, more than anything, I need a touch of God on my life. And that, you, you get that the Bible says when you serve the Lord with gladness and you come into his presence and God just has his way, God does a redo and, uh, uh, or an undo or something else, he powers us up and that's what we need most from God. And that joy attitude is that God can do that and give you enough joy that you not only have enough for yourself, but you can share with someone else. And David said this, he said, my cup, he said, I was filling my cup up with Coke and I got distracted and I looked away and then he looked over and he said, oh, my cup runneth over. But you know, that's exactly what happens when we get enough joy in our, that's how you minister. You get so much that you just have some coming out like, ha ha, I got to share something with someone about God. Last thing, we were going to, uh, it's parking lot, my wife and I, and this older couple stopped in a Jeep and he kind of motioned for me. He goes, stop. It was an older couple. And he got out and he was like eating something, but he got out as fast as an older fella could get out and something fell out of his truck. And he came and he handed me this thing, you know, to go like to a Santa, some Santa you know, thing, but I looked on the back and there was like, you know, like a church name or not a church name, some kind of church website. But I was like, wow, he's that touched my heart because he stopped a complete stranger in a parking lot to basically give an invitation to a spiritual service, right? At least what probably had a message at the end about God. You know what? That man probably had some joy. Why? Because he was serving a greater purpose than himself. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. If you want joy this Christmas season, you can apply that very simple and yet very difficult, <laughs> very simple and very difficult recipe, but it can be done. And the, uh, the outcome is there'll be joy in your house and it'll overflow and people want to know about it. Amen. God bless you is our prayer. Spencer, could you dismiss us in prayer? Hey, God bless you is our prayer. See you Thursday.